0: 21st century, global news is bigger, faster, more complicated, and frankly a whole lot scarier than ever. It's hard to know which stories to pay attention to, or how to make sense of it all. Don't worry too much though, because we got you covered. We're international relations PhDs, and we're here to deliver a lighthearted dose of context and analysis to your podcast app, week after week. We're decoding global politics, so you don't have to. We are The elucidators. Hello, and welcome to another episode of The Elucidators. I'm your host, Steve Pally. With me, as always, is my co-host, Sumi Chatterjee. How you doing, Sooms?
1: Uh, not bad, Steve, but as is our way, we're about to talk about some things.
0: Uh, is that what we're going to do?
1: That Excellent. is what we do here.
0: First, uh, date check. Uh, we're coming at you Tuesday evening, uh, October 22nd, and we are sitting here uh, in Los Angeles, uh, Pacific standard time. And, um, you know, I didn't think it was possible to go any further South, uh, than, than we went, uh, last week, Venezuela. I mean, Venezuela has gone really far South, but, uh, it turns out we're going to go even further South this week. Where, where are we this week?
1: Well, we're staying in Latin America, Steve. We are in Chile. Chile.
0: All right. Interesting. Um,
1: chile what's going on in chile oh man okay so this time last week if you asked me what was going on in chile i would say that's a random question everything's fine as far as i know i would right I, i would then because i am like many academics, insecure about my intellect, then start spouting trivia like, did you know that Chile is 2,670 miles long? And other-
0: <laughs> so it's basically as long as the United States is wide.
1: Yeah. Yeah. No. I, yeah. See, just like that. I would say something trivia related and then you would respond and we'd both agree that we're smart and then we'd move along. But yeah. <laughs> in, this, in the last week, The country, as many, many parts of this country are now under declared states of emergency. And it's come about in a way that was unforeseeable to most foreign observers. Basically, a week ago, this is how quickly things came about. On the 17th, so that is what? uh, Thursday, right? Thursday of last week? Mm -hmm. Okay, Thursday of last week, Chile's president, uh, Piñera, who is a Harvard-trained economist and has been president of Chile twice now. Right, Steve, twice?
0: That's right. He's had two non-contiguous terms. So that means somebody basically came in between, but this is his second term as president. So he is
1: the 36th, currently the 36th president of Chile Uh, that was interrupted by Dr. Michelle Bachelet. She is now the uh, UN High Commissioner on Human Rights and he served before her. So Piñera, who is this Harvard-trained economist, Uh, gives an interview to the Financial Times in which he says more or less the following. Chile looks like an oasis because we have a stable democracy. The economy is growing. We are creating jobs. We are improving salaries. And we are keeping economic balance. Is it easy? No, it's not. But it's worth fighting for. Well, fight is what he has on his hands now because currently... The country has several states of emergency, as I said, and it all kicked off because of what amounts to a four cent raise on metro fares, on public transport. Wow.
0: You know, it like when you say it like that, I mean, a four cent raise in anything would piss me off, too, because that would mean that I'd have to find pennies. And that's just super aggravating. Um, I hate change. But um It turns out that when you kind of dig into the seedy underbelly of the Chilean economy, things become a little bit more clear in terms of what's actually going on. But um, yeah, so basically what happened was uh, the 1st of October, um, the authorities in Santiago, which is Chile's capital city, um, of 6 million people, so it's where about a third of the uh, country's people live, Uh, reported that they decided to raise um, rates for the rush hour trains that many people rely on to get to work by the equivalent of four cents, so 30 Chilean pesos. Nobody thinks much of this at the time. Um, It seems like a pretty minor thing. certainly seems like a minor thing to us, four cents. I just made a joke about it, right?
1: No one on the outside thinks this is a big deal.
0: No, because... You know, as you've alluded to, everybody thinks that Ch- Chile is doing really great. It's actually supposed to be an economic superstar yeah. in, in Latin America, and and more broadly for the developing world in general. Um, and we'll get into that a little bit more later. Um, anyway, this is announced uh, October first, um, and then the protests start basically a week later yeah. when uh, high school students organize over social media a turnstile jumping campaign. They film themselves basically dancing on top of turnstiles and, and, you know, not paying the fare, right, as a form of protest. Um, And so, you know, this still doesn't seem like that big of a deal. The cops can handle it. You know, you've got some unruly teenagers uh, basically doing a flash mob in these subway stations, right? No big deal. Um, So still seems like things are under control. Uh, However, uh, the protests grow. And before too long, they start to become violent. Um, by a week later, so that's the 14th, um, there are some sort of lower-level violent incidents uh, in and around the train stations. Uh, we have some fires starting to get set. So some basically arsonists are coming, in, coming out of the woodwork. Um, then we have the Financial Times interview on the 17th, right? Uh, and immediately after that interview... Um, things kind of explode, right? Literally. So, yes. so they've been ramping up. Yeah, yeah. They've been ramping up. They've been ramping up, and all of a sudden, it just goes exponential.
1: Yeah, it 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 got real bad real quick. Um, you know, again, over the course of so we're three weeks and a day into October, it went from the approval of a rate uh, a rush hour subway ride hike from 800 Chilean pesos to 830 Chilean pesos, the equivalent of four cents. Uh, it's implemented in the implementation process. There are protests. The protests then start to get more and more concentrated. You can go on any of the social media sites and see uh, see videos of this stuff. And then they get violent. They get, they get so violent, basically, that we have that
0: interview on the 17th. Then Piñera... Is basically seen uh, enjoying a pizza for his grandson's birthday, um, while Santiago is starting to smolder. Right, the metro stations are all on fire, and and people are extremely angry uh, about what is happening. And he he is witnessed basically eating pizza, and this photo goes out on social media, and it just seems to catalyze the anger with this guy and and the Chilean government more generally, um, such that. By the 19th, uh, we have gone, uh, you know, from violence starting on the 14th to five days later, we have a state of emergency, with basically all of Santiago's metro stations on fire. Something like 70 metro stations have been burned down, along with supermarkets, apartment buildings. Uh, there's looting. There's rioting. There are tanks in the streets. There are people being shot. A curfew is declared, and Pinera goes on national TV and he says what?
1: He says that we are at war and you have to choose a side.
0: Yeah. It's pretty clear that Pinera has been caught, been caught more or less completely by surprise. Um, And he was not anticipating this. He has no idea what's going on. Um, He thinks that his country is under attack. uh, literally.
1: And in an astounding maneuver, he goes from, what is that? Sunday, right? Sunday when he says we're at war by month, (laughs) <laughs> yeah. By Monday, he then calls for dialogue, but not before 15 Chileans are dead in clashes with police and military military, which have now been dispersed into the streets of Santiago to try and keep the peace.
0: Yeah, there are tanks in the streets. Uh, the city is under curfew. Uh, actually, all major Chilean cities are under curfew. Uh, we've had 15 deaths, 11 of which have happened in fires along with 88 police shootings and 2,700 arrests. So this is like really extremely serious stuff. Uh, And we have not seen this level of unrest in Chile for 30 years. And that number is not a coincidence. Um, Right. Basically, Chile Chile was a democracy for a long time in the 20th century. And then it wasn't uh, for, for a period of time.
1: Without going too far down the, uh, the rabbit hole of Chilean history, uh, long story short, um, in the 1970s, there is a democratically elected communist leader named Allende. He's not very good at doing economy. Uh, through It's unclear through what uh, Nixon, Kissinger, CIA machinations leads to the installation of a military dictator named uh, Pinochet, who is uh, brutal. Over his rule from 1973 to 1990, Pinochet disappears thousands. I think it's 3,000 some odd Chileans uh, who are political dissidents, anyone who's seen as an enemy of the state, and uh, embezzles millions of dollars from the Chilean economy and hides it in banks in places like Washington, D.C. and Miami. He's uh, he uh, Hmm. his uh, his reign leaves a psychological scar on uh, on many Chileans Uh, and in defense of the Chileans in the 29 years since Pinochet left, they've had uninterrupted democracy.
0: Yes, they have. And and Chile has been very stable. This was the last time that we saw. Uh, basically Chilean military's tanks on the yes. streets and people getting shot on the streets. It was, it was during the Pinochet era. And that is not something that the president, <laughs> Sebastian Piniera wants any part of. Um, he does not want to be associated with it. Um, so it's not surprising that he's become more conciliatory. But when us outsiders look at the metrics, uh, the economic metrics, since the the end of the Pinochet era, Chile has looked really, really good.
1: Right, so it should be said off the bat, like Chile is considered the most open economy in the world by some measures okay
0: it's uh it's a super competitive modern economy um it, it's it, basically Chilean wealth is built on copper mining um and it became basically a, a copper mining and export powerhouse
1: to the point where uh you know we talked last week about the oil curse. Chile at one point uh, is almost entirely a copper-dependent economy. However, over time, unlike Venezuela with its oil dependency, as an example, Chile is able to make moves towards diversifying its economy. So now, today, uh, copper only accounts for 50%, percent five zero percent of Chile's exports, which is an improvement from what it was in the 80s.
0: Yeah, but it unlike Venezuela, you know, it actually has a properly diversified economy. So through adroit economic management, the, the Chileans were actually able to parlay this sort of resource windfall into a more modern looking economy. Right. So yes, copper is still Chile's top export, uh, and it still provides twenty percent of government government revenue, which is a lot. But that means that eighty percent of government revenue is coming from taxes. <laughs> Which is what you want to see. You want it, you want an actual service sector, you want industry, um, and you want people to have jobs and so you can tax their income. That means that the government is more responsive to the people,
1: right. And you want to see tax receipts because it means that the people have income to be taxed. Correct.
0: And with GDP per capita at 16K, that makes Chile a pretty solid, what we call an upper middle income country. Um, So it's still a developing country, uh, or at least most economists consider a developing country, but um, it was seen as doing actually much better. In
1: 1990, poverty was at almost 40% in Chile. It's now below 8%. That's great.
0: Yeah, that's really good, right? Democracy is stable. Uh, and we've had, you know, regular elections in Chile for 30 years.
1: Yeah. How did we get to a flaming metro station, Steve?
0: Yeah. Like if, if you kind of ingest all of these facts, it doesn't sound like uh, a place where you're going to see too many things on fire. Um, and for a long time you haven't. Um, but if you scratch underneath the surface, um, some pretty ugly numbers come out, uh, in the form of fairly extreme economic inequality. Um, and so there are lots of different ways to measure inequality. Uh, we're going to get into a couple of them, right? Uh, you may have heard of what's called the Gini
1: coefficient. I have heard of it. Steve, what is the Gini coefficient?
0: It's a it's sort of a mathematical measurement of, of dispersion or concentration, right? And I don't need to get into the details, other than to say that lower is more equal and higher is more unequal. In reality, Gini coefficients usually range between uh, 0.2 and 0.6 or 0.7. Uh, 0.2 is going to be your super hyper egalitarian uh, Northern European countries. So your Iceland's, your Denmark's, your Norway's, places like that. Um, frozen paradises uh, where every, nobody's poor. Everybody gets adequate services and is generally happy. Um, that's kind of where you want to be. Uh, the United States is somewhere around 0. 0.4. Not great. Which is not not great, and it's getting worse. Um, but it's also not uh, 0. 0.46, which is where Chile is along with Mexico. Um, once you get into the 0.5s and 0. 0.6, you are headed basically to... Uh, the petrostates in the Middle East and also sub-Saharan Africa. And these are definitely places you don't want to be. You certainly don't want to be at point sixty-one, which is South Africa, um, one of the, certainly the most unequal society in the OECD. um, And, uh, you know, just generally uh, a tough place to live.
1: So to put it in even more accessible terms, the five richest Chileans, with one of whom happens to be President Piñera, have as much wealth. At least in 2012, the five richest Chileans had as much wealth as the five million poorest Chileans.
0: So the top five guys uh, basically had as much money as the bottom a third of the country. Yeah, um, and that that is much worse than what we see in the United States. And we have billionaires aplenty. Uh, Pinera made his fortune. He was an academic, so he's not supposed to be rich. It's actually really weird that he managed to get as rich as he did. He's worth 2.6 billion. And apparently at one point he bought an airline, owned a TV network and, uh, and so on. He's a successful businessman in addition to being a PhD, um, which is, like seeing something like a what quadruple rainbow, something like that.
1: PhDs tend to disappear into oh into their own heads. That's uh, that's how I was gonna end that sentence. Yes,
0: and material poverty. <laughs> um, it's not funny. Uh, but um, yeah. So I- the point being, Chile has some problems with inequality, right? Even though um it has developed very nicely in an absolute sense, and many fewer people are impoverished, um, there are still a lot of people that are having trouble keeping up with the cost of living. Um, And on top of that, they see that Chilean society, uh, you know, starting with the president and we have a billionaire president as well. Right. Allegedly. Yeah. Well, it's hard to say, right. Maybe we'll find out at some point what that guy is actually worth. Um, But, but they see through these exemplars, including the guy talking to them on TV, Um, that Chilean society and the economy seem to be rigged against them.
1: Yeah, and they're not without reason to think so. Uh, A scholar at the University of Chile, Javier Ruiz Tagle, estimated that various forms of corruption, including tax evasion uh, and backdoor dealing in which politicians were bribed in order to give favorable contracts to various uh, private entities, has led to five billion dollars in losses uh, from Chilean tax revenues. There are big industries in Chile that are entire monopolies because of this kind of dealing. So beer, tobacco, airlines, these are all big industries uh, in Chile that are monopolies because of corrupt dealings with politicians.
0: Exactly. Uh, it's, It's through sort of connections at the top, that people are able to establish uh, these legal monopolies and and collude with one another, raising prices. Um, And basically what ends up happening is that when all is said and done, Chileans spend 40% of their income in markets without any real competition. Um, So cost of living is actually much higher in Chile than it strictly needs to be. And people are aware of it, crucially. Uh, they feel like they are getting screwed and they have felt this way for quite some time, even though Chile has been growing at a really brisk 5% clip for most of the 21st century. Right.
1: That's, that's almost China numbers. Yeah,
0: it's really good. Uh, and it was coming from a low base, but, you know, it's it's um, it's still impressive performance.
1: You know, let's let's bring it back to how we kicked off, Steve, uh, when we we're talking about. These these riots over a 4% – sorry, a 4 cent uh, 30 Chilean peso raise in rush hour subway fares, okay, there's all this historical inequality. There's corruption in the state, but the economy is doing well. Well, only so much because this is how bad a, a inequality has gotten. The average worker spends as much as 30% of his income, her income, on transportation. So, yeah, 4 cents 30 Chilean pesos. If you're already spending close to 30% of your income on transportation, this is a bridge too far.
0: Yeah. And and I think uh one of the uh one of the protesters uh came up with a pretty catchy um slogan that has been making the rounds in Santiago. Uh it's kind of highlighting that this is just the straw that has broken the camel's back. Um And the slogan is, it's not for 30 pesos, right? It's not for that 30 peso or 4 cent increase in the public transport fare in Santiago. It's for 30 years. It's been 30 years since the reestablishment of democracy in Chile. And while the country has come very far in some respects, in particular, it's produced a number of billionaires, um, which is always impressive, right? Right. Um, and a lot of rich people who have done very well and can enjoy uh, vacations in the Caribbean or Switzerland or the United States, Um, there are lots and lots of other people, millions of people who are trying to get by on something like $550 a month um, in an environment where prices are higher than they should be because of endemic economic corruption and collusion. Um, So when you put... Those numbers in perspective, uh, the sort of explosive um, growth of this protest movement and the way that it has grown into violence, uh, it starts to make a little bit more sense at least.
1: Yeah. uh, Again, 15 people have died. Thousands have been arrested. When you ask the question, how does a country that looks like an oasis, to use the Chilean president's words, how does a country that looks like an oasis turn into a a state of emergency with with metro stations on fire with people getting killed? How do we get there? We didn't get there in the last thirty we didn't get there since October first. Chile got there as the as common Chileans will tell you over a long stretch of corruption and inequality. That has led to an unsustainable uh, living condition for most Chileans and having a billionaire president, you know, he may have been a uh, academic at one point, but he is a billionaire investor turned politician. And right now he has a very serious political challenge on his hands. It's going to be a real challenge to see how he can, I'm not talking about winning back public trust. I'm just saying, and getting himself to a and the country to a point where the violence and the protests stop.
0: Yeah. You know, I think curfews and tanks on streets will do that, but uh, they will also tank your economy. (laughs) So all that marvelous progress will be reversed. um, If he has to keep the tanks on the streets, like what's the point? of ever having gotten rid of Pinochet in the first place, right? Right back where we used to be, except now our metro stations are on fire. Not great, right? Uh, another kind of interesting point about this is this guy Piñera is a 70-year-old billionaire, right? He's another one of these guys that is like basically two generations out of touch with uh, the people he's actually governing. Uh, and I don't even know how many orders of magnitude in terms of how much money he has. It's a lot of zeros, Right probably four or five or six or seven zeros more than like the people he's actually governing. Um, And those two things means that when this started to go down, he literally had no idea what was going on. He does not understand like spontaneously organized flash mobs by teenagers. He doesn't understand riding the subway. He doesn't understand any of this stuff, right? He was just completely befuddled and out of touch. And like, frankly, a lot of countries in the world are run by guys like this. Who are wealthy and old and have no idea what's going on or what the conditions on the ground are like, right? Our country is probably one of them.
1: Uh, So (laughs) I'm going to move away from that for a second. (laughs) Yeah, sure. Look, I don't think anybody right now is looking at Chile and saying that we're looking at realistically at a failed government, that this violence is going to lead to a, an overturning of the state or anything on those lines. But there, is, there are some real important questions about how states function uh, that that are coming into play here when we talk about Chile. Number one is about having liberal, small L liberal economic reforms. Free markets make for free people. And so as as the saying goes, well, over the 30 years of of increasingly liberal economic reforms in, in Chile, it's largely a success story. However, there are unequal outcomes to that success story. And unequal outcomes can only be sustained for so long. This is a similar story that we're seeing in in the U.S. This is part of uh, the justification for some folks who might not think much of President Trump's character voting for him, is that it was a protest vote against unequal economic outcomes for folks that are are farmers, that are truck drivers. This is, at the very least, you know, Pinera declares himself an opponent of populism. Well- if you are an opponent of populism, that does not absolve you from being in touch with the populace.
0: Yeah, no, that then you're just an out of touch plutocrat, right? Congratulations, <laughs> like <laughs> that's that's really not what we're going for either, right? It's it's just the exact opposite pole and not what we need right now. Yeah, so so I think you made a really good point, which is the like we had 30 years of economic growth, you know, more or less. Uh, and and things were going pretty well in Chile, um, but the gains were not distributed very equally, and that can lead to problems. Um, When the tide is rising, you're okay, right? All boats are being lifted, um, as they were during the sort of long economic boom of the early 21st century, uh, whereby we had 5% growth, uh, like we talked about earlier. Um, However, uh, starting in 2017, Growth slowed to an estimated 1.4 um, percent for a number of different reasons. Uh, in particular, a drop in copper prices, uh, which you know Chile has made had great success in diversifying its economy, but like that's still going to put a dent in Chilean growth, um, unquestionably. Um, and uh, this is tied pretty directly to the trade war. Uh, between China and the United right. States because China was the biggest buyer of Chilean copper because uh, China makes a lot of electronics and it requires that copper for those electronics. To right.
1: Function. This is another part going back to the to the conversation a moment ago about uh, free trade and opening up economies. Well, this is another thing. When all... If... Intertwining economic interests. If supply chains are diversified across countries, that might drive down the possibilities of countries going to war. Right? If uh, if American phones are made in China with Chilean copper, there's less likely for there's less likelihood of having disputes fought, uh, settled violently because we're all dependent on each other to make stuff. Fine. However, this also means that if countries that buy a lot of stuff, like China buys a lot of Chilean copper, hit hard times, this is then going to have an effect on producer countries like Chile.
0: Yeah. So basically, the United States coughed, China caught a cold, and Chile kind of got pneumonia starting in 2017. Um, Growth shuts down. All of a sudden, Like prices keep rising. Uh, for, for the people on the ground in, in Santiago and the other Chilean cities, uh, but their salaries aren't really increasing in, in a commensurate way. Uh, cost of living gets higher in a relative sense. And basically, uh, everybody comes under increasing pressure, right? The, the tide is no longer lifting all the boats. Um, the people who got rich are still rich and they're fine. They don't care, right? It's everybody that's taking the subway. Uh, that cares because um, all of a sudden they're having to do stuff like put you know borrow money to buy food on a day to day basis and that's that's not what you want especially not after you've experienced again several decades of economic growth and you now consider yourself middle class you're not even necessarily poor anymore you don't consider yourself poor you have aspirations and you expect economic conditions to. Be at a certain level, and you never want to have to go backwards.
1: Look, people ask the question how do, uh, how do kind of, let's just say, uh, eccentric, eccentric, uh, political fringe characters get elected in democracies, right? Particularly democracies that happen to have, on the aggregate, in the whole, okay economies. And it happens when stuff like, Rampant inequality and corruption lead to gross unequal outcomes for the majority. And that's when you end up with with folks taking to the ballot box and saying, you know what? I'm going to throw a stinky fish into the system because it's better It's better <laughs> than the doo-doo I've been eating trying to get along with this other system.
0: Yeah. I, again, I don't think Pinera is a stinky fish, right? He's not a populist.
1: No, no, no. I'm not saying Pinera is a crazy character by any means. Are you kidding me? A Harvard PhD turned billionaire. This dude is not, this guy is as far from a stinky fish because he doesn't work. Right. <laughs> the point I'm trying to make is when you get these kinds of outbursts that happen, where people that are in, you know, a, Chile is one of the wealthiest countries in Latin America by certain measures, when you get these kinds of violent demonstrations, and the populace is clearly unhappy with the status quo, you're going to often see a reaction. And it's one of these things that people say, well, oh, I don't know how... In X country that seemed to be doing all right, that they ended up going to the ballot box and electing some Looney Tune. Well, the, there are grounds for going to the ballot box and electing a Looney Tune when the current guy is a billionaire who declares war one day, asks for dialogue the next, and his military kills 15 Chileans in the streets.
0: Yeah, but I mean, going to the ballot box is still probably better than lighting your metro stations on fire. Maybe you can have a snap election or something just to like try to get those matches out of people's hands, but um, yeah, it's not, not not what you're looking for. Right, you
1: don't want a national leader who is responsive to all forms of vandalism, but this is not that. and that he gave no. an interview on the 17th calling the country an oasis uh, after weeks of look, it went from a bubble to a roiling boil, and now it's the the tensions in Chile are overflowing.
0: Yeah, I think there's two more interesting points to bring up. One is the enabling role of technology, which is a very new thing uh, in that basically these protests don't appear to have any leaders. Um, It's just spread over social networks and it's kind of formless, right? And in this type of situation, it's like, who do you even negotiate with?
1: Right and this is one of the reasons it's a good point because this is one of the reasons why you see students as common uh as as common members of protest movements. These are folks that are that are generally don't they have the least amount of political power and the most amount of discretionary time and so they have the ability to take to the streets over these issues.
0: Yes and and students have always been I think like the main catalysts of protest movements, like for hundreds of years um, in in every society, right? They're young, they're angry. Um, What's new is that they can organize so quickly now and they can decide that they're angry about something so fast. um, And basically it can crystallize before the authorities even know what's going on, right? It can happen in the space of hours or even minutes, which is kind of what's happened here. It just went exponential, in a way that nobody anticipated, uh, including the people who are about to do it, probably.
1: Yeah. So you said there were two points. One is the role of technology. What was the other one?
0: The other point is that this isn't just happening in Chile. It's actually happening everywhere, right? We actually considered briefly whether to talk about protests in Lebanon um, this week instead of Chile. Um, But uh, basically, something very similar is happening in Lebanon. Not as violent, at least not yet. Um, But it's another sort of mass protest organized over social media, leaderless, over a proposed uh, tax on the use of WhatsApp. Um, And this got people super fired up. And once they all got together and started protesting, they decided that they had some other grievances too, right? We could have just as easily talked about Ecuador or Bolivia, both of which uh, I think have the army in the streets at the moment uh, due to protests.
1: I, I want to add, so earlier this week when we were talking about doing Lebanon, uh, we, uh, we tweeted out some some Lebanese protest video, which might be the most adorable protest video that's ever happened. Basically, this mother and her 15-month-old child were uh, driving and they came upon a protest and the 15-month-old child, seeing the ruckus and confusion, started to become upset at which point, a group of protesters surrounded the car and started singing and dancing the Baby Shark song, so that the child, Aww. so the child would feel. I, I mean, the that, that's it's nice.
0: That's adorable and also an earworm. If you haven't listened to it, I suggest that you never do. Um, <laughs> I mean, watch the Twitter video by all means, but but then like just wash your brain out with soap because uh, it will stay with you forever and always and not in a good way. Um but uh yeah that's the kind of protest you want. You want protesters singing to adorable babies. You don't want people um basically uh lighting metro stations on fire.
1: Yep. Yeah. Uh you know hopefully the the situation in Chile uh this was the flare up and it leads to some important reforms. So should we leave it there Steve?
0: I think we should. All right. You're going to hit them with the tagline. Yeah, we
1: will, as always continue to monitor the situation.
0: Thank you, Sumi. Uh, you're so good at that. Yeah.
1: It's, it's your line that I have now, uh, co-opted.
0: Yeah, it works. <laughs> All right. See you next week. Till next week. Hello, valued listeners. If you like what you're hearing on the elucidators, please do us a solid and tell everyone, you know, about the podcast. If you really love us, please also feel free to read us five stars on your podcast store be it iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, or whatever, and write us a glowing review, because we rely on your positive feedback and word of mouth to grow and improve. And if you have comments or questions, you can email us at allonewordtheelucidators at gmail.com or tweet us at the underscore elucidators. We may even answer your question on the show.